Welcome to Encounter Grace, where we come face to face with God's work in the world for our good. Join host Jason McKnight as we explore practical issues of community, theology, and leadership in everyday life. Hey everybody and welcome to another episode of Encounter Grace. My name is Ben Hendricks and I'm here with Jason McKnight. And we are nearing the end of January. I can't believe it feels like it was just Christmas. Almost my birthday. (laughs) And we are already well into 2022. It's amazing. I don't know where the years have gone. And I hope already it's been a great, just time for you, a great uh, beginning of the year. I hope at this point we can do a check and everybody still has their New New Year's (laughs) resolution still alive and active. I highly doubt it, though. And so already we're at the third of our books that lead your mm, life series. Yeah. And so we've already covered the, the checkbook and we've looked at the date book. So how we handle our finances, but also how we handle our schedules. And you know, it, either of these, if, if, out of a, if out of whack, will bring a crazy amount of stress into your mm-hmm. life. Yeah. I mean, you get your finances wrong or even your schedule wrong mm-hmm. and life can just feel chaotic. But today... We want to cover the most important one, the best one, the most foundational and most sublime of the books, the good book. Mm. It's God's word in our hands, in our homes, on our phones, and in our (laughs) minds. And of course, as we all know, we've heard the good book before. This is just shorthand for our grasping hold of God and his purposes for us. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. It's, uh, you know, we're using this books as a that leads your life as a, as a shorthand into it. And so good book, we're not just saying, hey, the Bible, the Bible, the Bible. We're saying, because in the Bible you meet God. Hmm. That's what it is. God leads us through us being in his word. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Um, first and foremost, everything we know or do in any part of life finds its root in Scripture. Like, think about that. Hmm. God's promises, God's revelation, God's uh, laying out for us what he thinks in 1,189 chapters. They're go- <laughs> we can live by it or against it, but it's going to break us. We will not break the word. Like, like we're not going to be able to break the word. Uh, it's going to break us if we try to go against it. God's word is truth, Jesus says in John 17. Truth is another word for what's really real. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's another word for truth. <laughs> so God's word is where reality resides in its best and highest and most basic and simple ways. Like, mm. amazingly, it's on both sides. So God's word is also where reality is interpreted and laid out for us, for our guidance, so that we can live the way God wants us to. So we're going to talk a lot about the Bible, but not because we want to be Bible worshipers or Bible thumpers, but because we want to be rooted in Scripture, because that's where we meet God. Mm. So let's figure this one out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If we're going to live according to the good book, or if this is one of those books that runs our lives and it it either breaks us or it brings us flourishing, um, what's it going to look like for us? Here's the first thing I love, is that we don't read the Bible just for head knowledge, although we learn, because that's where reality resides, but we really read the Bible because that's where God's presence is best mediated to us. He reveals himself. The Bible's living and active. The Word of God is living and active. He gives himself to us 
So scripture is foundational for a life with God, and it's also the vault of all the treasures for a life with God. You love the Gospel of Matthew, you and your seminary professor Pennington, yeah. and I love that. And, and you, you know, the, the Sermon on the Mount and the kingdom stuff from Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew 13, right at the end, after all these parables of the kingdom in Matthew 13, right at the end, there's one that honestly is a little bit out. It's like, well, the kingdom of God is like a, a storehouse where there's treasures old and new, and you go in and get old treasures, and you go in and get new treasures. Hmm. And it's kind of like that's what Scripture is. Where this Bible, of course, in Jesus' days, the Old Testament, but for all of us, this Bible, there are these old treasures and there's new treasures in the same storehouse. Every day we can discover something new in that, quote unquote, same old storehouse. <laughs> yeah. And I love just kind of looking at Scripture in those two ways of, you know, there, there is knowledge that we do pick up, but it's mostly about residing in and sitting under the presence of God. Because yeah. what I've found in just any moments of dryness that I've had with the Lord or with Scripture and just not wanting to is because I've, I'm looking at Scripture through the, the lens of just knowledge. I'm like, mm-hmm. I've read this story 50 times. Right. What could else could I learn? Right. But, man, when I, when I look at it as of how am I going to sit with, with Jesus today and reside with the Lord because His presence is here, it's funny how often I do learn something new. Mm-hmm. One, so mo- one motivates to just sit there, even go through the, the, maybe the dullest stories of, you know, Deuteronomy or Leviticus or wherever, the ones we just kind of make it through at the beginning of the year, yep. it feels like. But the other one just, I mean, it just, it, it's just what pushes us. And I, I just love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, um, we have two sons and they're teenagers. And uh, what everybody knows about guys is we love to relate shoulder to shoulder. Yep. And they say, and the girls love to relate face to face. So when we're driving places like Andrew and me or Daniel and me, and it's just the two of us in the car, sometimes there's a lot of back and forth of, well, dad, what do you think about this? Or why do we have, you know, these things in in the government or in world history? When did this happen? Or, you know, all these kinds of things or, you know, but sometimes we're just listening to music together, (laughs) you know, they're playing the DJ on the phone and, and like, it's not just the knowledge, it's the presence and yeah. the knowledge. And, and I just am glad to be with them. Amen. And, and I'm not saying I'm God, but like in that situation, as the kids, they're looking up to the dad, and that's us coming to the word. We're looking up to the father. And God. amazing to think the father just loves to be with us. Just loves to get in the car and do some shoulder to shoulder with us as we're listening to the word. Anyway, I mean, scripture, there's a sense in which it's the Holy of Holies. What was the Holy of Holies for in the tabernacle, in the temple? It's the place heaven and earth meet. Yeah. I mean, that's the place on earth in the Old Testament that heaven and earth meet. Now, we know Holy Spirit dwells in us. We're the temple. But there is a sense in which the Holy of Holies is today the scriptures because that's the special place where God is ready to reveal himself. So I always love and like, you know, one of the things that Ken always does every time we read scripture, I mean, he'll constantly say is like, you know, this is the one thing that you're just going to say it's going to be perfect today. And because, you know, it's that place it is that holy of holies. I mean, we were saying it like you're not going to mess it up. That's yeah. the thing. That's it. Yeah. And I love that. That is so true. No, I love. Uh, yep. Um, so are we saying the Bible is all that's matter? If you want to get to know God, all you need to do is be in the Bible uh, and nothing else matters, like, huh, what about the Holy Spirit? Sure. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Well, let me say it this way. I think the Bible, Scripture, God's Word, 
is foundational, the number one factor, the sine qua non, like that without which you can't get yep. to know the God as he has revealed himself. But it doesn't mean there aren't other factors. Yep. And the Holy Spirit is one of those other factors. He indwells every believer and he's God eternal, Amen. <laughs> you know, and um, he cheers us on and convicts us and guides us and encourages us and warns us and empowers us and energizes us. And he is absolutely the key to living a God-filled life, a God-glorifying life of power and praise, kind of what we're seeing here at the beginning of the year, these four books, the knowing God's purposes. So the Holy Spirit is absolutely vital to it. But the reason I think we talk about Scripture as the number one umbrella and the Spirit as something under that is, here's why. Not because the Spirit is defective in any way, but because I am. Yeah. <laughs> my heart, Proverbs says, my heart is um, deceitful above all else. And mm -hmm. I can, quote unquote, make the Spirit say a lot of things. That's true. <laughs> and you can't tell me I'm wrong because I can just say, well, he's oh. in me. You know, so that's why we have to say, oh, under the beauty and the perfection of Scripture, absolutely the Holy Spirit is one of those other factors. Second factor is the body of Christ. Hmm. God doesn't want us living alone. So a life flourishing of God, knowing his purposes, living into them, under the Scripture is the Spirit, but also the body of Christ. Hmm. We're not on our own. We belong to each other because we belong to God. Yeah. There's something there. We don't get this. Like we're, like we, some of us get it. Some of us get it, but as Westerners, as Americans, you know, John Wayne pioneers and all that kind of stuff and cowboys and everyone, you know, rugged individualism, man, to think that I belong to you, Ben, is hard. Yeah. And that you actually might have to call me out because I'm doing something that's sinful. That's like, hard too. That is hard. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, sometimes I'd rather not call others out. Yeah. You know. But there's over 61 another's in the New Testament. That's amazing. And you can go through Hebrews and find 10 or 12 or 14, let us do X, let us be X, let us think X. So yeah. I call it Hebrew salad, all this lettuce. <laughs> anyway. Also, I found that just understanding, interpreting, and applying Scripture is just so much better, easier, and just more effective within the body. Amen. Like, I hate to say it, but there are some times where I I get a wild hair on some. I'm like, I found this new thing, I didn't know that the Lord wanted this, and then I'll tell someone like, I, hey, I think we, you might have gotten this one wrong. Mm -hmm. And now, fortunately, over the last many years, I don't have as many of those. But like for a lot of us, like we, it, it's just so much easier. Like when I mean, whether it's the excitement of of studying Scripture and we can get that encouraged by others, or just maybe some of us, we do get kind of a random thought and we, we take this passage or we heard it from a sermon or something. And then we have other people who love us who are willing, again, just like you were saying, to kind of go, hey, you might want to pause on that or mm -hmm. pump the brakes just a tad. Yeah. yeah, because that's where heresy comes from. Yep. It comes from thinking about Scripture in a vacuum. Yep. And there's always a new heresy ready to be hatched. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because, again, the heart is deceitful above all else. Yeah. And our minds also are affected by the fall. Hmm. And so my mind alone is affected by the fall. And so us together. Honestly, I think that's why I would never last in a church where the pastor is the prime leader. But here at Grace and in a lot of churches where there's a group of elders, three, four, five, ten elders, and I as the senior pastor, but I'm just one of the elders. I'm not the boss of them. Yeah. I report to them. 
and together we serve. But that means we got eight or 10 people saying, hmm, are you sure about that? Yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of that. It is good. That's what most of the elders' meetings are, right? That's it. I mean, it is so good. Uh, third factor, so Holy Spirit, the body of Christ, third factor in order really to live a life with God, but under Scripture, because again, that as the umbrella, the good book as sort of the four books to lead our lives. Third factor is a willing spirit, a willing spirit, humility. I mean, that's just what yeah. it is. Um, we have got to be willing to be humble before him, before the word, before the spirit, and before each other. Yeah. And that's all hard. <laughs> but uh, we all get that. We don't have to drag that one out. Uh, you know, the, the shalom he created us for in Adam and recreated us for in Christ will not come without a humble spirit. Amen. Okay, so the, the, go the good book is this foundation of a life that is worth living. Mm-hmm. We, there, I mean, there's no way about that. Like, there, that's it. So here's the question. What, what keeps people from making Scripture a home for them then? Like, if, if we know that this is this great place in which to find refuge and to find hope and, and even joy, and in, that it really is a foundation of life that is worth living, why, what, what is it that keeps people from making this a home? Yeah, I think, uh, I think I've seen two things primarily in 20 years of ministering to people and with people. Um, and listening to people. On the one hand, Scripture's long and daunting and hard to understand. <laughs> so there's the intimidation factor, or, yeah. or as my buddy says, the intimidation factor. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, that's a little much. It's from a different world. The Bible is just from a different world. They've got different customs. We don't always grasp them. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know... Hey, Israel, go across the Jordan River and wipe out all the Canaanites. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> what yeah. do we do with that? So on the surface level, it's, it's, it's intimidating to understand what to do. And then I say, well, what if I interpret it wrong in my daily quiet time, in my, in my whatever? What if I'm, what if I'm not going to make the right sense of it? What if I miss what God is really saying because I don't understand the culture of the day or the purposes where they are in salvation history or something like that. And I know it's written to another people in a different language. And what of the things in it are only really written for that first audience yeah. and what are supposed to be applied today? Yeah. Like, you know, Paul saying to Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach. Well, is that like, is that supposed to be applied to each of us today or is it just oh, we get a little bit of glimpse of what Paul's saying to Timothy. Yeah, like the difference between descriptive and prescriptive, right? Exactly. So all of these things are going on in our minds, and they're real, and they matter. And, and, and so it kind of is like, oh, man, I don't know what to do. Mm. So I back off of it, which is exactly the wrong thing when you're intimidated by something Yeah, is to back away. Yeah, I mean, and I think, and I've had conversations, you know, with people in my own family, but also close friends as well. I think this is one of the biggest reasons people do stay away from Scripture. I was dumb enough that I that didn't scare me off. Again, like one of my favorite <laughs> stories is I spent the first several months of me trying to follow Jesus by reading through Genesis because it kept talking about this tribe of Benjamin. And I was like, oh, I'm going to learn something about me. Like, I'm in this. Like, what a terrible hermeneutic. But, you know, it kept me in Scripture despite that. And I did what most of us should do. I, I bought a commentary and I learned. I was like, oh, okay. I have questions. 
<laughs> but I think even that, the answers aren't in the commentary. Yeah. There's a little help on the way, but the answers are always in Scripture. And I think you're right. The only thing to do, which, which is interesting, that God drew you into it because your name was there. <laughs> As a young believer, that says I think, a lot of where I was. No, but it also says a lot about the grace of God to, to meet each of us where we are and use that and draw us in farther. Yeah. Like I, you know, I mean, I went to this whole leadership <laughs> development thing as a teenager because there was cute girls there, man. Hey. I'm just saying. So what's the only way we get over our intimidation is to keep at it. Hmm. Only way to gain any proficiency in any endeavor in life or any comfort with any new thing in life is just not to give up. I mean, yep. I got home from work yesterday and uh, it was dark and... Um, Andrew was out in the backyard at the free throw line practicing his free throws. It was dark. Like, I honestly, you know, yeah. his young eyes, my old eyes. <laughs> I don't know how he could see that, that rim, but it's into the sunset. So the sun is already down, but there's a little bit light in the sky over there. But he wants to be good enough so he doesn't let the team down in the game. And sure enough, you know, 100 free throws later, he comes in and he says, yeah, I got, you know, 75% of them. And, and I'm thinking that's pretty good for you know, the beginning of the season. Yep. Like you're only going to get better if you keep doing that. But that was the whole point is he wanted to get better. So he kept doing it. And when scripture feels long or daunting or intimidating, I think the only thing is jump into it. And guess what? It's not one big hole, although it is. It's 66 books that you can pick one to get to know. Yeah. I mean, I think Jonah is one of the greatest gifts to the body of Christ because it's four chapters. It's lots of action. We all know Jonah and the whale, which is not a whale. It's a fish. But we all know it. And so it's accessible. And so you can begin to learn how to get into Scripture by just making Jonah your friend for a week or two. Yeah, You can read it over and over again. And then you discover pretty quickly there's two stories in Jonah, chapter 1 and 2, chapter 3 and 4. And both stories, Jonah gets rescued hmm. by God. And wait, he's the missionary. <laughs> but hang on. Like the Ninevites, they barely even figure in the whole story. It's just Jonah. Hmm. And it was beautiful. And, and it, it's just a little thing, but you get to see a little bit more of how the Bible works and the world of the Bible works and the God of the Bible works. There's a reason that a lot of missionaries or evangelists, especially on college campuses, use the Gospel of Mark to help people who are investigating Christianity because Mark gets to show Jesus in beautiful ways with a lot of action and pithy sayings. Yeah. Uh, uh, John and Matthew have these long discourses, Sermon on the Mount and the Upper Room for John and Sermon on the Mount for Matthew. But Mark, man, he's just on the move. Immediately, mm -hmm. Jesus is moving. And so here's what I say. You want to get to know Jesus a little bit through Scripture, read Mark and then read it again and then yep. read it a third time. You're going to meet Jesus more in deeper ways than you can even imagine right now if you take him up on it. Yep. I mean, there it is. I mean, just start dwelling in Scripture. Amen. Start letting, uh, start letting Scripture dwell in you. Ooh. I mean, I think that's it. Yeah. Like uh, Marva Dawn, who has written a lot on worship and Christian formation, discipleship uh, at Regent College in Vancouver, she uh, has said this, and, and I love it. I wrote it in the front of one of my Bibles. But the scriptures form us as we dwell in them. Hmm. And that's just so helpful. Like, I take that into a time that I'm with the Lord in the morning. Like, I, I don't necessarily remember Marva Dawn every morning. Yeah. <laughs> but that concept that, you know, the time I'm here, God is actually changing the mold of my life. Yeah. Like, you, you know, you use a bunt can 
pan to make different kinds of cakes or whatever. You, he's, he's molding my life differently because I'm just allowing Scripture to speak. It's easy to think that it's kind of some of the places that we've ended up, I mean, in our own discipleship and sanctification, or like for others that like this is just some luck thing, like, oh, they just happen to luck out to get there. But I think we forget the truth that like luck really is the, the residue of design of, you know, when you design your life around scripture or, and to, mm. to be like just around the Lord of, Hey, I want my life to, to resemble him. And I'm going to do mm. that by being in scripture, by being in community, by the, like, that's the design. Well, you're going to have a lot of quote unquote luck there. Right. right. And I, and so I, I just find this such, such a helpful thing. Yeah, it is interesting, um, the serendipity that comes, you know, from from just living the way God wants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the second, there's another reason why maybe it's a little hard for people to get into Scripture. Um, so, A, it's daunting and intimidating and long and that kind of stuff, and we talked about that, and the only way through that is just do it. The, the second way is, the second reason maybe it's a little bit hard, but at the beginning of the year, it's worth us being reminded of again and maybe taking stock of is um, it can sometimes seem like a to-do list, a task to check off. Well, I better read Scripture today uh, because I'm supposed to because I'm a Christian or because, you know, they keep telling me that at house church or or at church or something. And and who wants to live a life always having to do these to-dos? Yeah. I mean, it's why every kid hates homework. Hmm. I mean, let a kid love to read. Give a kid a book he loves to read and he'll... Yeah. He won't put it down, but man, force the kid to read something, and already you just do that, and they don't want to. So, to me, how do you change from, gosh, it's on my to-do list, it's a task, to being something that nourishes us, something that changes us, something that uh, we look forward to? And um, I don't know. I mean, you you got to, again, it's kind of the willing spirit. <laughs> yeah. You got to say, well, Lord, would you make this to me? And And maybe it's it's like none of us, very few of us, let's say, very few, um, don't like eating a good meal. Yeah. Like, like maybe there's a couple people out there who don't like eating a good meal, but most of us love to come to the table with good tasting food that nourishes us and that gives us fuel. Mm. And we all get hangry. <laughs> we know what it's like when we're hungry. We know what it's like and we get a little grumpy, hangry, all that kind of stuff. We know what it's like if we've ever gone a whole day without food, maybe for spiritual reasons to fast or for medical reasons because you're having a procedure or this or that, um, or or just because you were driving all day and you didn't stop for lunch. And you just know what it's like. And and the hunger there, it takes a lot longer for that spiritual hunger to manifest in the same way as physical hunger. But the meal is right in front of you in Genesis or in Mark or in Revelation or wherever God has you. And if only we could see Scripture as the fuel and as the reversal of the emptiness, and as the good tasting enjoyment. I mean, I love the way Psalm 19, you know, your word is delightful to the soul. It's enlightening to the eyes. It's like honey. Mm. These, are, these are good tasting things. Yep. And that's what God's word is. But it isn't maybe that on day one. But you keep at it, and you begin to see, like all of a sudden you see what's going on in Jonah, or you see how God relates to Jonah in grace and mercy when the guy's a little bit of a jerk, (laughs) you know. But he gets there because he wrote the story, Mm -hmm. and he wrote it that way to show himself to be someone who needed 
God to meet him with grace and power. But it's also the fuel. You know, you think of Psalm 1, those tr- the tree planted by waters that bears its fruit in season and out of season. That's what scripture allows us to do. But it's not a to-do list, but it is the fuel, you know. And then I just think of Amos with the famine for the word of God. Mm-hmm. And we all know what it's like to be hungry. And, and he says, yeah, but really the real famine is the word of God. When, mm-hmm. when you're trying to live life without the um, joy of the word. So I think when we look at it as a to-do list or as a thing that we have to check off or we have some guilt about it, that puts the Bible, the good book, in a down position in your life because it's a thing that draws guilt from you. But if we look at it as the meal that everyone can't wait for, when mom says it's dinner time, people come running. Yeah. I think a really helpful reminder, and this was just, I mean, life-giving to me, is not... And using the the meal illustration here is not every time you sit down to eat, it has to be the best meal you've ever had. And when I first started opening up scripture, I thought every time I would sit down, this has to be a life-changing discovery or moment in which, again, the angels would sing, you know, the Lord would arrive, and, and it was like a Mount Transfiguration moment. And a lot of them are not, but there are some that are. And they're just incredible moments. And sometimes those are the ones that keep driving you. And you're like, you know, like there are certain meals that I just don't love. And I remember when I was growing up, my, my grandma, we lived with my grandmother and she would cook some meals and, you know, like chip beef on toast, just not my thing, <laughs> but she loved it. And, you know, once a month we'd probably have it. And I would kind of go through that one, gritting my teeth, looking, knowing that that Friday we were going to have ribs. Right. And, and so, it got you through the day, the yep. chip beef on toast. And look, that's the thing is, at some level, it was nourishment, right? And so sometimes, like, we're not, we might be in a passage, not, it's not our favorite, or it might feel like we didn't get that much, but we at least got the nourishment out of it. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, we got, so, that, so that's at least good that we sat down and ate. Like, we're not just skipping meals. We need to be in the, like, at the, at the table. Yeah, yeah. You know, Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Mm-hmm. Psalm 34, verse 8. I love that verse. Changed my life in about 10th or 11th grade. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, that's what we're talking about here. The Lord is revealed in Scripture. He's dwelling in Scripture. When we open Scripture with a willing heart and the Spirit in us, He is dwelling there and ready to dwell with you and me in the morning, in the evening, if you make an appointment with Him at lunchtime, whenever you get with Him alone. But it's taste and see that He's good. Amen. I mean, we're eating the meal, taste and see. So let's let's start eating. Let's Let's make... <laughs> Let's make 2022 the year we all get fat. <laughs> <laughs> That's I a New know. Year's resolution for everybody. <laughs> fat with scripture, baby. <laughs> fat with God. Jason, thank you so much just for this. Uh, I mean, I, anytime we get to talk about scripture, it's just such a fun thing, getting to sit down and see mm. the meal that it is mm. and the life that ultimately comes from it. Yeah. Guys, thank you so much just for tuning in and listening again. Share it. Send it out to a friend. Maybe they need a New, New Year's resolution to quit the dieting and maybe this time to get fat <laughs> on the word. And so, guys, thank you so much, uh, and we'll see you next time. This is a ministry of Grace Fellowship Church in Kinston, North Carolina. Visit gracekinston.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.